With such a turbulent production, it felt like we were all waiting to see what exactly would be included in the solo bonus features and DVD release. We're excited to revisit the movie and see what new things we learned from behind the scenes. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin. <laughs> that was an interesting hey. I feel like I should try something different. You know, we're just, we're always doing the same thing. You know, that so, hey, hey was like taking off like the Millennium Falcon. It was. And it's funny because when you said hello, I thought of solo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's we're on just, theme. We're so on point today. Um, yes. Okay, well, hi, everyone. I'm Keelan. <laughs> I'm your other host. And today we are going to be talking about Solo again, which now it's been, what, uh, May, June, July, August, September, about about five months since Solo came out. And it's time to dive back in and see what was included on bonus features, which if you guys have been listening to Sky Talkers for any amount of time, you know that bonus features are some of Charlotte and I's favorite parts of Star Wars. <laughs> we yeah. live for bonus features. Yes. I, oh my gosh. I've been so excited to get these and I'm really excited to talk about it. And I have a lot of opinions or mm-hmm. kind of a- about all of them, but um, I'm really thrilled to be able to have Solo as a home release now. I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like it's it's one of those these movies and we'll, we'll get into this also, but um, I'm happy to be able to watch it at home. I am too. I'm really glad. And I think And weirdly, I think Solo is the first movie that you and I have had not completely different opinions of, but like different levels of loving. Yeah. Because you definitely love Solo a whole lot more than I do. And I really like Solo and definitely watching it at home. It's weird because I think – I feel like I'll say this a couple times during the show, but both the bonus features and rewatching the film really emphasize for me the things that I – loved about this film and the things that really bothered me. It made me love those parts even more and then just get like frustrated again at the parts I didn't enjoy as much even more. It it was weird. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. I think it's uh, all of those emotions are totally fair and Mm -hmm. I I share a lot of them, probably not as intense as you. Yeah. And we'll get into that. But before we do, um, I want to say that I don't know if we've announced this on the main show yet, but we are going to do a Resistance, Star Wars Resistance um, TV show discussion in the similar vein that we did our Fulcrum Files Rebels discussion. And those will be updated as soon as we can get to them after the episode. We won't be doing a strict schedule for those, but they will be in addition to our regular uploads. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting super excited for Resistance. Um, I, I feel like too. they've really been ramping up the promo for it. The thing I still can't understand is why it's coming out at 10 p.m. on a Sunday, but, you know, there must be a good reason somewhere out there in the universe, in the Lucasfilm world. But yeah. I'm getting really excited for it. All the featurettes that you've gotten the past couple of weeks have just made me really excited. There's been a lot of characters. I'm actually surprised by the amount of characters that are in this and that they're showing yeah. right away. Um, so I'm interested to see how that goes. But I am really excited. I think the animation looks beautiful. I really like the time period. Uh, I think we're in for a really great treat with Resistance. And I can't wait. 
I think it's going to be great. I feel like we're going to get to know families more because I know – I can't remember any of their names, honestly, at this moment. But the the one pilot, um, her dad is like commander Tora. of the Colossus. I think Tora, Tora. Yeah. Tora. Yeah, her name is Tora and she's um, – you know, her dad is commander of the Colossus. So to get to see their interactions on the ship and, you know, what how that influences her relationships with the other people on the ship, I think is going to be really cool. Um, of course, Kaz, Kaz still has his parents, I think, or it sounds like we're going to get to know his family or at least about his family a little bit more, which I think will be really interesting. Yeah, there was that line in some StarWars.com article. It could have been Entertainment Weekly, too, um, talking about how has comes from a um high society family i don't remember the terminology that they used but i thought it was really an interesting kind of opposite of our usual heroes who kind of come from basically you know nothing yeah um i'm just really interested to see how they do that Yeah, which I think could actually really play into Kaz's character a lot as far as, you know, he's kind of – he seems more – Yeah, hotshot and lighthearted too and is just kind of now getting his feet wet for the first time about what it actually means. You know, you can kind of envision this scenario where he's like, yeah, I went off to like boarding school and trained as a pilot or this like elite flying academy or something, but it's nothing like what it's actually like to fly for the resistance. And so even though he has this prestigious, you know, quote unquote prestigious um, background in education. Um, there's nothing like real world experience. Totally. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So let's go into our sections. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the movie and kind of check back in about um, our opinions about Solo, a Star Wars story. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the documentaries and other behind the scenes features. And in part three, we're going to be talking about the deleted scenes. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? All right. Welcome to part one, where we are checking back in with Solo after five months um, of not having it in theaters or of not seeing it. Uh, (laughs) So now that you've had it at home, Charlotte, do you still have the same opinion of Solo as you did at the once you couldn't see it in theaters anymore? I don't put as much weight on Solo as a lot of Star Wars fans do, I think, or are intended to. I consider Solo in the same way that my brain considers, like, Rebels, which is, like, good uh, ulterior um, feature to, like, the saga, I think. And because of that, I find Solo to be extremely fun and... A really just like a fun watch and it feels like to me it feels like a, a good like western um heist movie that i actually really appreciate i my pro the problems with it are so glaringly obvious to me that it's really hard to kind of talk about it without addressing those at all mm-hmm. um but i still i like solo I think I like it more than Rogue One, and I am actually really surprised by that. Yeah, that was kind of my next question was, do you like it more than Rogue One? Um, Because I kind of fall on the other side. I think I like Rogue One more than Solo. And I think probably – I think I like Rogue One more because, one, I've lived with it longer. I think that's always a factor. And – Two, Star Wars is tragedy, and there is literally nothing more tragic than Rogue One. Um, So I think I I really latch on to that angst. Um, 
I do love a good angsty situation. And I love Rogue One. I just, I think that Solo was really refreshing to see. It was like, it was such a fun romp to me in the theaters. And I... I really love this whole, the old switcheroo scene at the very end, like with the with the coaxium and everything yeah. in Dryden's office. Like I really love that. I think that's a oh, really great yeah. climax in Star Wars, and it feels a little different from the usual like Star Wars ending. Mm-hmm. That I think it stands out to me a lot, and I think that you can make the same argument with Rogue One, which is like that third act is like incredible, and yeah, if if the entire movie, I mean, obviously. It, a third act is a third act. It needs like part one and two um, in order to support that third act. But if Rogue One, I don't know. I It's so hard to compare them, but I- It is, yeah. I really just, I don't know. I really like it. I, I like Solo. It's kind of, it's fun for me. I, I The thing is, I really like Solo too. The, the highs in Solo for me are so high. Like that, yeah. that scene at the end with Kira and Dryden and Han, I- love that scene. I love it's it great. so much. It's so – you feel the tension every time you're watching it. And I love the way that they move around that space. I think the camera work is so well done. Um, I think that the fireside chat scene is one of my all-time favorite scenes in Star Wars, um, really because of the interaction between Han and Chewie in that moment when, you know, Chewie's like, oh, did, what did he say? Oh, he said something about family or tribe. You know, what's the difference? I just – I love that because that – to me, that like – speaks to so much of what Star Wars is. It's this perfect blending of found family and blood family and how they are both equally important in our lives. And that scene, I think, just sells it so well for me. But then there are other parts of Solo that I just – they just frustrate me when I see them. Like the the whole – like the Mimban sequence, I really don't enjoy Mimban, but I love when Han and Chewie meet for the first time. I think it is a perfect way for them to meet. But I don't like Minban. And of course, everything that happens with Val is just so, so frustrating. And then um, I really don't like how Emphis Ness was handled. I think a lot of things could have been changed for her character in particular. But man, she's an amazing character. Like the bones of who she is is fantastic. I don't know. I feel like I have such a weird relationship with Solo because like I said, the things I love about it, I really, really love. And the things that frustrate me really frustrate me. It's the first Star Wars movie in the Disney area era where I feel like I walked out of it being like, ooh, the writing should have been so much tighter in this spot. It mm-hmm. should have been better. Like this needed a second yeah. draft or yeah. fourth draft or how many drafts it, it was already going through. Mm-hmm. I think that you're spot on about Emphis. I, I think that Emphis is like an unbelievably cool character. I want more from her. I think everyone agrees with that. They all mm-hmm. think that it's, you know – it's so cool that she she mentions her mother wearing the mask. I can't get over how cool that is. And yeah. I just have so much headcanon about like what that even means. Um, it's it's really cool to me. And I I hate the way that her reveal was handled. Mm-hmm. That we're supposed to be shocked that a teenage girl is leading a rebellion. Like, are you kidding me? This is Star Wars. <laughs> we it's- literally saw that in 2000, I mean 2000, 1977. Yeah. But it's not even her reveal. Like, I think her re- like her reveal was really cool. It's the fact that her character wasn't built up to – because like in your head, you're like, oh, this is like a manly man and blah, blah, blah. But if we had spent more time like really building up the fact that, wow, she's a villain, she's a villain. And not just these kind of one-off comments like, oh, Emphasis is always giving you trouble. But 
oh, emphasis, serious, like serious business, because this is what we said in our initial review. You only really see her in action at the train heist. And yeah. then I think we see her once like tracking the Millennium Falcon and then that's it. You know, it's like the the buildup didn't um, lead – like make – like the payoff should have been really great, but the buildup wasn't there. Like I don't know. I just I feel like I could talk about Emphis a lot and how I think her story – could have been handled better. Um. Well, it's funny that she's like her whole shtick and the way the the music is points to you. You're supposed to gasp when she takes off the mask. And then when she reveals her whole story about how she's actually like, you know, funding and fueling a rebellion and how Crimson Dawn is awful. (laughs) It's weird because it's like, wait, we're supposed to be surprised about that. Like we know that, We've spent this entire movie knowing that Han and Beckett are dealing with, like, a villain in a cape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's how we're introduced to Dryden. He's literally killing a regional governor. It's it's just weird to me that that's her reveal. Her reveal, that writing just could have been so much better. And I don't really even know what, the, what it is if it's, you've been working for Crimson Dawn for so long, and I think you have a small understanding of the unspeakable things that they've done, but you don't really know this piece. And look at all these people that, you know, Crimson Dawn has terrorized or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think I think I pitched this rewrite back in one of our solo discussions, but if, so, Han, if Solo, if Han had been with Beckett and the gang and the crew for – like a couple of years so that it's not just Beckett who knows what a threat emphasis, but it's Han too. And they, they've already got these relationships with like Val and Beckett and Rio and Chewie, or maybe they like come across Chewie in the course of the movie. I don't know, but you could have had Han like spitting out these one liners to Emphis, like while they're fighting on the train and Emphis is like, Oh, well remember that time in Mimban or whatever, where I, you know, kicked your butt. And I don't know. I feel like it would have built up that threat more because the whole crew knows just how dangerous Emphis is. It's not just Han. Like Han's our main character and he's like, who is this chick or who is this person? And then she never shows up again. But like it's a big deal that she comes in at the end again. I don't know. Um, I think that would have been great. And that just leads into how I wish that this was a mm -hmm. miniseries. Right. That's what that was my next comment is that the good thing about having it at home is that I can watch it like a miniseries. <laughs> I can just watch the Corellio Chase. I can just watch the Kessel Run. I can just watch Lando. <laughs> I there's like so many things that I really like about Solo. I I mm-hmm. really like the beginning. I love Lady Proxima. I love the idea of like Han and Kira underground running errands for like this crime lord, which is basically what Han does the entire his entire life. But I think it's so funny how much you love Lady Proxima. <laughs> I think I think she's great. I also just love like the punk vibe of everything. I love the costumes. Yeah. I I think that it's so the blue lighting um everywhere and like the glow in the dark, the mm-hmm. neon. It's just great. And I <laughs> I just really like this. I I haven't finished Most Wanted and it's been a really long time coming guys <laughs> but I do think and I, I what I read of it I like and I like the Aaron running um but I, I think that that's like it's like a gold mine for fanfic mm-hmm. um for like all these kids living underground to get I just love it I love it <laughs> I I re- I think I agree with everything you said I think Proxima is really interesting what, what I loved I've 
what I love more about Proxima now from watching um, some of the behind the scenes and other things that have come out on the Star Wars shows and stuff is that finding out that not only is she practical, but there's like 17 scuba diving puppeteers <laughs> underneath <laughs> this tank controlling her. And when I found that out, I was like, whoa, it's incredible. Like, Proxima is essentially 17 scuba divers in a trench coat. And I love that. <laughs> No, 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 no. 17 scuba diver puppeteers. Yes. Like, it's just so they're fun. They're so skilled. <laughs> and I think it's so great. And and I I finished Most Wanted, actually, for once. Yes. I finished the book before you. Um, it did take me – we both started it back in May when it came out, and I only finished it like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, but I did finish it before you. And I think that it, it really it, – you're right. It is such like perfect – like fanfic fodder to have this whole like underground world and who's going to rise up above it. And I think that Most Wanted really laid it out so well about what reality was down there. And I, you're right. I love the aesthetic of Corellia. I think it's so great to see it. I love how it's it, like it's this industrial planet for the empire. I think it makes the beginning of Solo clunky. Um, and I do too. I do yeah, too. It I doesn't know. mean that I don't. But yeah, but it's I, funny but I still love as it. Fan, as a fan, it's like, oh my god, I want to live in this part. I want to stay in this. I, I yeah, mean, personally, a, I don't want to live it. But give I me a walking to. tour of Corelli. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's 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 fun, and that's why home releases are great because yeah. then you think about certain parts. You don't think about it as a co- composite movie as you mm-hmm. sometimes do when you put on that, you know, film critic eyeglasses and sit there and think about, well, this could have been sped up. And I do think the beginning is clunky. And that's something that we really felt when we saw the movie uh, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm with you with the Mimban. Um, I don't really like that part either. I think it's interesting. Um, I think there's there's a couple of really good, beautiful shots in that part. Um. With uh, the walkers ahead and the lights coming over the walkers and everything, but I do find it confusing. Yeah, I was. I remember being really confused when I first saw it. Um, yeah. Like, how did we get here? Why are we here? What's happening? <laughs> I don't. I don't really think the audio is that good there. And I, I, there's some there's some lines that are really hard to hear, which mm-hmm. is is strange to me, um, given how amazing the sound system is for these movies and the sound design. Yeah. I I don't know. But moving on from that, because I'm totally with you that that is like Chewie's entrance is great. I do think that everything in the um, canteen, I don't even know, bar, whatever, is is so great. It's, oh, where they meet Lando? Yes. When they meet oh, Lando, Lando's gosh, yeah. interest is perfect. They they round the corner and the music starts and it's just great for Lando. <laughs> yeah. It's the perfect entrance for Lando. It really is. It really is. I There's so many things in this movie that just make me like excited to see. And, you know, I was watching this movie with my mom this weekend and I was astonished with how many, you know, little moments in the dialogue that as a, you know, a very involved fan of Star Wars. It's fun to listen to and see. And, you know, you, you see the shot of um, the Imperial March, March being played in a major key. And you're like, oh, I remember when they use that in Rebels. And no mm-hmm. one else thinks that's interesting, <laughs> except if you are a big Star Wars fan, right? Yeah. And 
or like, oh, or a saying. And I remember in the theater, we all gasped during that. Yeah, um, that was probably my favorite reveal, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I think that there's so many pieces like that. Or like, oh, when the Zan sisters are Bosk. And I feel like that might bring the movie down a little bit because it's kind of uh, a little bit of kind of throwaway dialogue for people who don't really care or understand. But I think it kind of goes to how I think about this movie, which is similar to Rebels, where they can just kind of go deep into this lore and like (laughs) the Wikipedia of Star Wars and kind of yeah. bring these things out to make us go, oh my God, that's crazy. Can't believe they killed Aura Singh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And we'll get into this too more so in part two, but kind of these contrasting emotions in Star Wars or in Solo in particular, because, you know, when we start talking about John and Larry Kasdan, Larry Kasdan is basically says he doesn't like the prequels or hasn't really watched them very much. Whereas John Kasdan is like, I know everything there is to know about Star Wars. And so he's – like you know that he's the one feeding in those like Easter eggs while his father is like, I don't really care if it relates to Clone Wars and, you know, the troopers on Minban from that mm-hmm. clone episode, you know. But then you, now we have this whole sequence where we're actually seeing Minban. But you know that that's something that John Kasdan is, is weaving into the story, whereas Larry's not. Or John cares about weaving in. I don't know if he's necessarily the person who does it, but I think that he I I like have this idea of John Kasdan like really sitting on Wikipedia for a long time, <laughs> I honestly. Think he has. <laughs> I think he has. <laughs> he's like, Oh, this is cool. And then he'll probably be like, Pablo, Dave, what do you think about this? And then they're like, <laughs> I also think that the Kessel run could have been really bad i think that it could have been you know a race or something and they made it really cool the visuals in the castle run are amazing the music is great it's so So fun to see the the falcon just like completely destroyed like Mm -hmm. completely destroyed and also on the star wars show recently they they talked about like how there was all these different pieces that they had to remove and they were figuring out in post um how they were going to remove them (laughs) I, I just love it. I love watching the satellite dish come off because mm-hmm. we all know um, that Leia gets her replacement, him, what the heck, a replacement satellite dish. Mm-hmm. And I I think that by adding that twist of, you know, there was, there was always that joke of like, oh, Parsec's not a unit of, what, what is it? It's a unit of time? Yeah. No, it's the opposite. It's not a unit of time. It's a unit of distance. Yeah. And they really kind of filled in that annoying hole that like people love to roll their eyes at, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are really into like the nitty gritty Mm -hmm. and and it made it so it worked. And I I kind of love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, Kessel is really fun. We have the, the weird emotional beats with L3 which generally I don't find as much problem with as I think other people do. I understand why they do, but the, the L3's story and personality has never bothered me um, as far as like her femininity or her – like the way that she becomes a part of the Falcon. For some reason, that's never bothered me as much as, you know, what happens with Val, for example, in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there are some weird emotional beats and like how I wish that it was Lando who had – in like put L3 into the Falcon. Like that would have been more meaningful, I think, and would have been an easier pill to swallow because he knew her best. 
I really just think we needed a line. We needed a yeah. line of L3 being like, I'll help don't you let my, you know. Oh my gosh, that's a Ray line to Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Whispers gently in the elevator. I'll help you, Orlando. <laughs> but honestly, we needed something like that. We needed oh her in her like dying moments to be like, don't let all of my composite parts die. I want to live forever. Yeah. Something like that. Because mm-hmm. I, I, we needed a line like that. And that's one of the many examples of me being like, wow, I really think there could have been just much tighter Something. writing. Yeah. Yeah. And then and there's like that weird beat too where Kira is like, oh, sorry. And like, and like her yanks out, out wires. Her brain or whatever. It's weird. It's weird. It's just- <laughs> but it, it, but just, it feels weird. It feels weird because we were given that – heart-wrenching moment before with when Lando like races out um crap why can't I think of the planet with the droid revolution um Kessel Kessel no yeah they go to Kessel oh wait no 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 sorry sorry sorry, sorry. you're right you're right, you're right. <laughs> like, <laughs> my head something Kessel when they're on Kessel and Lando um I'm thinking of Savarine I don't know why I got them mixed up um but when Lando like runs out of the Falcon when he sees L3 gets shot and he's like hysterical almost with how like upset he is and it's such a beautiful moment. But I then, cried. Right? You do. You do cry, but then it doesn't it's not carried through all the way. Um yeah. I I I totally with you. There are two moments I cry in solo. It is that moment um when Lando is rushing to L3 and um Weirdly, I get extremely emotional when Han and Kira are separated on Corellia. Oh, really? Yeah. I think that um, Alden does a really great job in that scene when he, he screams her name and everything. And you get really just sad about they're so happy to be leaving that life behind. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like really emotional for me, at least. I don't know. I don't cry um, in solo. I'll be honest. <laughs> But you cry in Rogue One. I do cry in Rogue One. So do I. <laughs> if you don't cry in Rogue One, I don't know if I trust you. <laughs> or at least you haven't – if you haven't cried at least once in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um. <laughs> so you bring up an interesting point, and I kind of want to talk about this for a second because I – something I have kind of talked about on the podcast before that I noticed about Padme years ago was that how in Attack of the Clones and throughout basically the entire character arc of Padme, she's always right. Um, I have kind of noticed this trend basically in the Disney era, Star Wars, of making sure to point out that the women in these new movies are always right. Um I think it's really interesting because you get a moment later of um, after I think it's it's either before or after Val has died, and um, Rio says Val's right. It's no good to die alone, and mm-hmm. you see Kira being you know in the very beginning being like we could be sold to the Huck Cartel or Crimson Dawn. That happens. There's all these different instances in these movies where the women are right. Emphis is, you know, completely morally right. We understand where she comes from by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. We understand L3 because it's perfectly fine for a droid. A droid should not be treated as less than, mm-hmm. especially a droid who's made herself like L3 has. What's weird, though, like the, the droid thing is so 
um, complicated because you have like a droid like R2, an astromech versus a more humanoid droid like L3. Are they the same? Are there different hierarchies? Because I don't know. I feel like that's a lot to get into, like the ethics of the galaxy. Well, it's interesting because it's interesting that you bring up R2 because L3 is part astromech. Mm -hmm. Like her body is part of astromech. So she is, in a way, an embodiment of all these different droids that we know so well. We know like the, you know, the humanoid droid like C-3PO and um, K2SO. And then we also have Chopper and R2. But like all those are built into L3 in this kind of composite so that we can understand that droids should be served at bars, you know, when yeah. she says they don't even serve her kind here. It's like we've re- we're reminded of um, how R2 and 3PO have to wait outside at the mm-hmm. cantina. Um, well, I wonder if it's just like if, if, the, if it would have been just 3PO or if it would have like if it's both of them. Yeah. You know, I, I just think that that's interesting like, because, like, we tend to treat, like, R2 and, and BB-8 and, like, mouse droids – like, it's a mouse droid. They're, like, pets. Like, it's kind of like a pet, yeah. Yeah, but 3PO and L3 and K2, those are more, you know, people. Um, and we kind of view them more – they're humanoids. So we view them more as, like, people and, like, oh, it makes sense that L3 is wanting these kinds of droid rights and things like that. Like, I can get behind that. But then, like, if BB-8 rolls up and is the same thing, I'm like, oh, BB-8, you're so cute. Like, let's go on a walk. I know, but then you think, oh, wow, um, BB-8 is so smart. Like does, yeah, like does things. And like Chopper yeah. is so sarcastic. And R2-D2 so knows R2. literally everything about the Skywalker family. Literally, so he's, he's a walking archive. Exactly. So it's like it's it, – we know this about these droids. And I know what you mean. Um, but I think the L3, like her character design specifically, was made to kind of embody all of these different types of droids so that we can kind of view that lens of droids' rights. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, it, it always does make me think about my perceptions of other droids, too, yeah. that aren't yeah. as vocal or human-ish like L3 is. So I think, I will I think say, that's what she's supposed to do. I love – and will always love, I think, Danielle Jose Older's version of L3 more than Solo. Um, but I love L3 in general. I really just yeah. like that character. I, I love think this, she makes the me laugh. somberness that we see in L3 in Last Shot. Yeah. Um, there's this, like, I don't know, there's this weightiness to what she's doing. Um, that even, like, once you find out what she's doing in the book, you're like, oh, I get it. And totally. Like, wow, she's like she's she's fighting for a cause. Whereas in this film she's super brash and um which is weird because Last Shot came before mm-hmm. Solo and so I don't know. You would think that it would be the other way around that she would be really brash in the beginning and then um kind of learn that there are things going on that are bigger than her but she can still like this is how she can contribute. I don't know. You right. kind of feel like it would be flipped, but I think you're right. I think yeah, I think I would agree. I like the last, I love everything about Last Shot. So. Me too. Me too. <laughs> it's so good. I can't say enough good things about that book. Right? <laughs> anyway, women are always right. Um, and I just – I think that it is like this theme that I'm noticing throughout all these different movies um, is it would be – Han Solo even says it. We use it as a sound clip in our show ourselves, you know. <laughs> and it's, so it's just – 
Well, it's it's true though. Like in it, Ray, Leia, like we want them to be right at the end of the day about like some of the characters that we really care about, and mm-hmm. in general, we trust their moral compass the most. Yeah, and it's kind of put to the test in Solo, where you have kind of maybe, and I'm going to float this by you, our first like morally gray character in Kira. And I think that's why I really love her the most. Um, Kira has definitely launched herself into my top 10 favorite characters somewhere there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that it's really interesting because everything she says happens according to what she says it's going to happen, right? Like she's, you can never really figure me out. You know, you don't know what I've done, everything like that. You watch it back and you're like, wow, I understand who Kira is now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the thing. I don't think we really understand who Kira is. I think we do. I don't do. think we have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly. We don't have to understand her. We can have these pieces of her. Um, whereas, I mean, Han has, is always kind of described from the original trilogy as the quote-unquote morally great character. But, you know, it's it's a simplified Except Kira, like, is like, no, you're not. You're not. You're the good guy. (laughs) She takes it up a notch, though, um, with her, like, complications. But that's the thing of, like, a new hope. You don't know what Han's going to do. I mean, you kind of, like, you're pretty sure he's going to come in and save the day or come back or something like that. But um, with Kira, I feel like it really is a, oh, what is she going to do? Because at Mm -hmm. the end of the movie, like, at the end when she's playing Dryden, I was on the edge of my seat, like – Am I being played? Is this a double cross? Is she like? Are, is she? Did she really lie to Han? But really, she's for Han. Does Han is Han in on this plan? Like, I was completely sold on. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's great, and that's why I really love the ending of this movie. Is that it? Mm-hmm. It really is like a head scratcher, but you kind of understand what went down. It's not confusing in any way, and then you rewatch it and you realize that. Kira really did set Han aside so that he would never have to be involved with Crimson Dawn ever again or this sort of crime syndicate. Um, Yeah. I think Reading Most Wanted did so much for Kira's character, especially in the third act of the book. I won't get into details, but it really even lays down even more of who she is. Um, And there's this quote by Larry from one of the documentaries that – I'll just insert here, even though we're not talking about the documentaries now. But he it's like this old interview with Larry from like the 90s where he's talking about the kinds of characters he likes. And he says the thing where he goes, when the attraction of material is all around you, um, how do you give meaning to the chaos and the possibility of extinction? And this is from like 93. And I'm like, oh, that's like Kira. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like Kira is so attracted to this high life. And having this independence and the the things that come with that. But she also has this really great love for Han. Um, and how is she balancing those and what's ultimately going to take, like, her top priority. And I don't think it's clear, um, honestly, right. uh, at the end. I think it's, it's both. You're not really sure. Mm-hmm. I'd echo that. You get a similar understanding of Kira's character from the solo novelization, which I am in the middle of the audiobook right now. And it's really good because you actually get Kira's um, point of view. Um, Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Yeah, it switches point of views, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great. All right. Should we move on to part two? Let's do it. 
So welcome to part two. In this part, we're going to be talking about the bonus features, including the documentaries. So Caitlin, where do you want to start? Why don't we say what our favorite one is out of the documentaries? I don't remember what it's called, but I love the one with Bradford Young. I don't remember which one that is either, but yes to that. Um, (laughs) I think it was the train heist where they really highlighted him. Because they were talking Um, about the the light of I think it's the creatures. It's the creatures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's the creatures one. He does some really cool things in this film. I mean, the film looks so different, and I love that. I can't get over how the bar scene, there is no external lighting. Mm Mm-hmm. It's I think amazing. it's the coolest thing ever that you can walk onto that set and really like live in that set in a way that you can't any in any other movie set really. Um, all the puppets are puppets, and <laughs> they all work seamlessly. You can sit there and play cards with a puppet. It's so cool, and how they took inspiration from that Renaissance painting and just kind of subbed the aliens in for the humans. It's like unreal for me and then just adjusted the lighting. <laughs> I think it's really cool too. And it, it wasn't in this documentary, but I'll mention it. I think Bradford Young is – I hope that we see more of him as a cinematographer in Star Wars because – and I know a lot of people have a lot of issues with the way that Solo is dark and I do have something to say to that in a second. But I think it's really cool if you have the proper lighting, if, you, if you're watching this movie on the right screen with like not a lot of external windows or whatever – to watch the movie wake up, it's great. It starts mm-hmm. so dark, like literally in darkness underground, to mm-hmm. the the brightest possible part on Savarine. And everything that happens in between is just really – it's really beautiful to watch middle, everything yeah. get brighter. I mentioned that I watched this movie this past weekend with my mom. And we the sitting room that we have at, at our house is surrounded by windows and it is really bright and we couldn't see – the first half of the movie (laughs) and it got me thinking about how all these people had problems when the movie theater wasn't lit right um and the certain curtains weren't hung properly and the bulbs weren't correct and I think that's such a shame and I hope that if you're able to watch this movie basically on a good tv in like essentially the pitch black because that's where we found the most success like halfway through we were like let's just finish this tonight Mm -hmm. I I think that it, it makes the world of difference. Yeah, I think you're right because every time – when I've watched Solo, it's been at night and I haven't noticed that problem. And I, But I did – I turned off my my light, like my end table light, you know, because there's like that glare on the screen that can come from that. So yeah. yeah, I think that's an interesting point to watch it in pitch black. You're right. That probably helps it a lot. Yeah, Bradford Young just seems – so like he seems like one of those guys who just comes in he's like yeah it's gonna go from dark to light it's great (laughs) and like they've like they've like they you watch these featurettes and and these people are figuring out so much detail about every little thing I mean it's insane the amount of work that goes into these films and especially a Star Wars film and I feel like these people like spend months like pondering these things and then Bradford Young comes in and is like ah Yes, I'll put the light here. And then it's like perfect. <laughs> I mean, I really do think he's truly an artist. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think like watching these featurettes, you really do just get such an appreciation for the sets and the way that this film looked. I think that was something I really came away with was really loving the aesthetic 
of Solo. And I love the place and time that it represents where you get these um, contrasts of, you know, the high life with Dryden and then, you know, the scums, the, the, the street rats on Corellia and the life that they're living in. Because we are in this transition phase with, you know, the time of the prequels, which are really bougie and really nice. <laughs> and you have a lot of wealthy people that we get to see in the prequels and in Clone Wars. And then they all pretty much – well, we don't know this, but we assume that a lot of them went by the wayside as the Empire, you know, took more and more control over things and everything becomes like industrial and for their needs and, you know, monochromatic <laughs> – Right. Um, what do you think about them referring a couple of times to when you make a Star Wars movie, it's called, you know, it's essentially a period movie. What do you think about that? I think that just speaks to so much of how, for me, it makes perfect sense. Um, it makes for everything that George has ever talked about in the way that he created Star Wars. It's not meant to be shiny. It's meant to be lived in. And so much of that was built out of his first experience with Star Wars in the 70s, um, but hearkening back to, you know, the serials of the 40s and 50s, you know, it's a soap opera in space is what he's always described it as, or as a fairy tale. And those things always have very clear soap operas, like a real, like Italian soap opera rarely takes place in our own time. You know, I don't, I don't think that like George was thinking of like days of our lives when he says it's a soap opera in space. I don't think that's what he was thinking of. Um, I think he was thinking of something much more like historic and dramatic. Um, and I think that everything in Star Wars takes its cues from history and that's what sets it apart because it isn't a shiny futuristic Star Trek kind of film, which I think – I mean I think the aesthetic of Star Trek is really – um, specific too. You know you're looking at something from Star Trek when you see it. But right. Star Wars has this great ability to blend um, history and science. Yeah. You know, I was looking at – there's this wonderful article, and this is the second time she's done it. The author's name is Michelle Buckman for Nerdist, and she um, spends like months – putting together putting together gifts of um, old movies that uh, Star Wars is referenced. And so she just released today one on Solo, and it was really awesome to see. I retweeted it. I'll put it in the show notes, too. It's a great article. She did this for The Last Jedi as well. Um, mm -hmm. But I thought it was really interesting because she referenced how the inside of Lando's Falcon looked like uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is such a shiny film. And it's really funny to watch this movie like totally break that down and kind of there's something like kind of meta about it where it was like that's way too shiny for this era of star wars that's mm -hmm. not what we're gonna do and it gets completely like destroyed by the end of the movie you assume that han just like completely scuffs up the place right yeah um cool how they, i think it's super interesting i think yeah i think it's cool how they how the aesthetics are such reflections of the characters too like with yeah. Solo, in all of these features, they were always talking about going back to the 70s and like that attitude of like free will and um, like kind of like punk, um, like what you're saying at the beginning of Corellia. But, you know, it's muscle cars. It's It's got style, but there's also like a lot of dirt and grime that goes into right. it too. It's this combination. Um, and – but then like with Last Jedi, you know, we've got a lot of – like the Kurosawa influence in that film too. And like the yin and the yang is present everywhere. And that's such a reflection of our characters in that film of Ray and Kylo. You know, so I think it's cool how the films really 
like their aesthetic takes cues from their characters and really the vibe that they're going for, for because the vibe that you're trying to capture is not just like it yes it's the Star Wars feeling but specifically it's a Han Solo Star Wars and that's going to have a very different feel than you know Kylo and Rey in the Last Jedi right and it's it's this sort of you know this discussion that we're having right now about how much i appreciate the aesthetic of solo that makes me want to just continue to live in this you know viewing mm-hmm. of star wars this way um and my hope for a sequel or a continuation in a series just continues to grow um just because i feel like there's just so much there and there's familiarity there that would be great um and it would really lend itself to a series I really like – I have in my notes that I really like Solo's attention to homeware. I feel like we get a lot of <laughs> homeware in Solo that I really enjoy. Um, but my favorite feature was actually the uh, Chase on Corellia one. I loved that feature, getting to see them drive the cars, how they put the cameras on, mm-hmm. the influence for the cars, them getting the sounds. I smile so big every time I see Matthew Wood on screen because I just – I love him so much and we're friends on Facebook. He has no idea who <laughs> I am, but we're friends on Facebook and have been since like 2008. So <laughs> <laughs> so there's yeah. that. I just feel really <laughs> to be friends with Matthew Wood. This is back when like – remember Facebook, you could only have like 5,000 friends or something? Yeah. And I can't remember why, but we're both friends with him on Facebook. We like – I think we just out. went for it. Yeah. We were like, this guy works for Star Wars. We're going to friend him on Facebook. And it worked. And we're still <laughs> friends. So. <laughs> That's great. Uh, anyway, but I, I really liked that um, that feature because I love to them talking about how they were mapping out – Corellia as well as like an industrial Venice, I think is how they called it, which I just find so fascinating. And I hope that that map, you know, gets, I'm sure it is, but published somewhere for us to look at and like where exactly they're going and, you know, how you're going to make the car look like it's floating. Okay. We've got to do a lot of drifting. Like that's going to give it that, um, that feeling, that vibe of a hovercraft. Okay. Like they're actual stunt drivers and they're doing that. And then getting to hear from some of the special effects people about, okay, this millisecond is the real car. This millisecond is the fake car, like the CG car. This millisecond, it's a mishmash. And I just think it's really – I think it's really interesting. And I love, too, that Alden they, – they have this little moment where they're like, yeah, Alden, like, really wanted to know what all of the buttons did. So I, I made it up and I told him. Um, but we spent, like, an hour on it and he was really excited. <laughs> like, none of them work, but – there you go. <laughs> I love how in that specific feature they talked about how they made it a point to make the actors do um where they get stuck in the the small crevasse. Yes. And how <laughs> you get a much better performance that way. It just it's like it's funny to see anything that's very like physical like that in a green screen format. Mhm. <laughs> uh I would probably need a massage after doing that. Oh, yeah. You see the one shot that they do and um, Emily Clark is like, okay, great. Let's go. Yeah. She's, <laughs> She's like, like, all right, and out of the speeder. <laughs> Time to leave. Um, I don't – I feel like we're not going to talk about it, but I did love the roundtable a lot um, just yeah. as someone who just loves to hear from actors. Mm-hmm. I could have watched that for like three hours. The roundtable was really fun. I, I liked the fact that – Han and Chewie's, like Alden and Jonas's first scenes they shot were the scenes on Minban. Um, I, I like when there's that synergy between the chronological timeline of the film and of the shooting schedule. 
You know, I do too. I think it kind of always helps performances along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember this. um, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And that film from like 2005 has excellent bonus features. And one of the like strange things that they did, not strange, but I guess kind of unique is that they filmed that film completely in chronological order um, from start to finish, which I always thought was really cool. So that like the kids really did kind of grow up and they went from like the the glo- the gloom of London to the like final battle in Narnia with like the sunshine in the fields and like they really had gone from like London to New Zealand to shoot and I don't know they talked about it a lot in the behind the scenes and that was the kind of the first time I thought about it. I was like oh people don't film films in chronological order <laughs> yeah I think with kids it's like pretty important to do that just mm-hmm. because kids facial features change so much yeah just yeah. even in a span of like a month oh yeah um, you have four kids in that film so I think they did a similar thing for Harry Potter too um mm-hmm. and I think they do it for Stranger Things as well it's just like it makes sense yeah how are I've never watched Harry Potter bonus features are they good you know I don't really know it's like, those are the VHS days. I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's funny because you mentioned that and that was like the golden age of bonus features. Yeah. And I we don't get that kind of stuff anymore. And it's kind of a bummer. I mm-hmm. I think that like I'm happy with what we got for solo. I think that they're I'm surprised are, at how much we got for solo, honestly. So exactly happy considering how little we got for Rogue One. Like we got mm-hmm. like a pitiful amount of Rogue One. But the one thing that's annoying is that there's no commentary. For yeah. Solo. I agree. I feel it. Well, in Force Awakens, I wasn't everly overly impressed with Force Awakens bonus features, but Last Jedi's bonus features. I they did a good job on that because yeah. Ryan Ryan was like very attentive towards the fact that he loves bonus features. He learned so mm-hmm. much from them, so he wanted a good set of bonus features. And I think that it's pro- it was probably tough for Ron Howard to have that kind of influence given the fact that, you know, they were on such a tight deadline and he joined the project so late. (laughs) Yeah. While Ryan had like all this downtime of when he wrapped and like completed the full edit of the movie from when it was going to actually release. That was like, it was like a huge amount of time. Um, They did not have that in solo. I love how it's just referred to as the hiatus. When we came That's back after so the hiatus. Funny. Let's talk about this. The like the fact that they refer to it as the hiatus. I there's I feel like there's one shot, and I'm not sure because I'm not an expert on face, but I feel like there's one shot of um Lord and Miller when they're on the top of uh the mountains when they're filming the train heist and it's in that oh, train. Yeah. Um but I they really shied away from it and just referred to it as the hiatus. And I think the that hiatus. it the round table is really interesting because at the end, the actors all thank Ron Howard for mm-hmm. like when he came on, he everything after felt so good. Yeah, <laughs> after the hiatus. And and I think that it's really great that they do that. And I, it's clear that they were really appreciative of Ron stepping up. And I think it's actually kind of crazy. Like they went from, you know, kind of new guys on the scene, um, directors for Solo and they 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 went to Ron Howard and George Lucas was there on the first day back when Ron Howard filmed and that must have been like a crazy experience from this like the rumors are that you know it was like an improv type set um th- the transition from that to like Ron Howard like a story director in Hollywood <laughs> and then George on the scene like I'm I think that those comments that they say on at the round table come from a genuine place of like 
you bit you were so kind and it really like almost like elevated the set I feel like yeah it probably like alleviated their worries because it's like you get this great thing about you you know you land the Star Wars and with Han Solo and Lando and and all of those characters and then you know, if if any if there's any nugget of truth in, in some of the things we've heard from that period with Lord of Miller, like I'm sure I always think of Alden like being really stressed during that time period and like gotta give an acting coach and um now the the directors are fired. Like that's that's gotta be really stressful when you're heading a film of one of the most iconic characters in cinematic history. And then to have someone, you know, that's just so lovely like Ron Howard come in and be like, you're doing such – like you're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Yeah. What I think is so funny, uh, funny and interesting and it like starts my conspiracy theories driving is um, the fact that, one, no one knew that George was coming – Mm-hmm. beforehand and two that that was the first time George had been on set so three he hadn't been on set with Lord and Miller and shooting was almost done was basically done for Solo at that point so George chose not to come to Lord and Miller's set but was like I gotta be there on my on the first day of shooting for Ron I know what does it mean what does it mean, what does it, mean? I, it might mean nothing it might mean that George was like on vacation and then came back, and that just happened to be the timing, but I don't think it is. <laughs> Long-time listeners of the podcast know that we love to theorize about director relations and so what George thinks com- of everything. a complex web of headcanon about George's opinion of each <laughs> and every director of Star Wars. My understanding is, just quickly, um, that George is – I don't know. I, th- I think he visited – the last jedi a couple times and oh talked yeah to... he's, he's visited all of them yeah <laughs> he's visited all of them except lord and miller fascinating uh, fascinating <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited really to, to hear about yeah that's the thing it's like from what i remember and i could be completely wrong because i don't remember he really only visited force awakens once but he visited last jedi more than once and I think he just visited Rogue One once. Yeah. Curious. I don't know. Curious. So curious. I um. Anyway, speaking of George, I feel like him bringing on – I think it's, this is a good segue for talking about Lawrence Kasdan and um, John. So there's a documentary on the bonus features about their relationship of like father and son working together. And – I have some reserved feelings towards John Kasdan about what he said recently um, regarding Val's death, um, but I I will say I find the dynamic between a father and son writing this movie together it it works. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, it makes sense to me to have this guy who wrote basically the middle chapter of. Han Solo. He loves Han Solo. Han Solo is his favorite character. He wrote Han's death. And here he is coming back to write Han kind of at the beginning of his journey. And in order to do that, because he's kind of older now, he needs to bring on his son who kind of comes into it with fresher eyes. Not fresh eyes, but fresher eyes. <laughs> and <laughs> I I find it really interesting as I'm not going to make this about Ben Solo, but I will. I think that it's really interesting how, okay, I was going to. how 
it's like necessary to, in order to understand and unlock the beginnings of Han, they need to have that father-son dynamic. And I think that even uncovering Han Solo, the very act of creating this movie and getting digging deeper into Han Solo, it just accentuates what potentially we could pot- learn about Kylo Ren in the future, mm-hmm. about Ben Solo. We, we hear about, you know, you have you have too much of your father's heart in you. And, you know, in December, it was kind of a little bit undefined about what that meant, right? Like mm-hmm. in terms of, I, I think that we hadn't really gotten a lot of canon material with younger Han and kind of getting into that character's head. And I think that now I'm more interested in Han Solo than I ever was. I feel like I understand him way more than I used to. I didn't even used to think about Han, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we both and, didn't. And they've really built up this character, and I, I find it just so fascinating that they brought in a father-son duo to do it. Yeah. It's cool. I think that I loved and hated the documentary on Lawrence and <laughs> Right? Don, right? It was so weird. I'll, I'll talk about my Ben Solo feels first um, because you did. <laughs> I think it, it's so – it's remember before Solo came out, the question that everyone talked about was like, do we really need a Solo, <laughs> like a movie about Han Solo? Is this really what the spinoff, the next spinoff should be about? Should it be about Han Solo? But when you hear that piece in the documentary where Lawrence is like, yeah, Kathy asked me if I wanted to come back into Star Wars writing um, and who I'd want to write for. And I picked Solo. Like I picked Han. So it's like, you know that like this is like the way that Dave is to Ahsoka Lawrence is yeah. to Han, which yes. I think is which I think is an easy comparison to make. But what I think is funny too is that he wasn't able to write solo yet. He was writing Force Awakens, and so since he couldn't write about Han Solo, he wrote about his son, mm-hmm. um, and he created the character of his son, which I think is so interesting because knowing that that's kind of or kind of speculating on that genesis for the creation of Kylo Ren, knowing how much that Lawrence loves Han Solo. Is Lawrence like? Would Lawrence want to set it up so that his favorite character son died on the dark side? Me thinks not. But yeah, that's my. But, you know, the other problem with that, and I'm just like devil's advocate, devil's advocate, is that he loves a good tragedy and has always wanted. You know, he does. He does on but- dying and death and everything. But I, there is that really great quote um, in that documentary. That says, um, there's no simple heroes and villains to me. How do you give meaning to your life when all around you is chaos and possible extinction? Mm-hmm. And he also talks about, too, this This is from like those night, those interviews that they play on tape from the 90s of Lawrence about, you know, what, you know, Lawrence says, I've always been really interested in characters who can do a good thing one day and a bad thing the next day and what that's about. And who that person is. And I kind of think that that's really elevated in the character of Kylo Ren. Um, oh, extremely elevated. Extreme, like, whereas, with, whereas with like Han, it's almost kind of basic. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Han leaves at the end of A New Hope, but then he comes back. Um, and he like he just takes money, which is kind of low stakes. But then he comes <laughs> back and does something like taking the money is like low stakes bad. But then he comes back and saves Luke, which is low stakes – or is like high stakes good. <laughs> Um, whereas everything that Kylo Ren does is high stakes, good and bad. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very interesting. And then you know when you come, then when you kind of bring in this like real world of who Lawrence Kasdan is and him, you know, helping write these characters and presumably with story groups sketching out a rough ending point for them. 
I don't really know how all of that works with story group, but I would kind of assume that there's a rough ending point, you know, like point A and point B and then whatever happens in the middle is that's like up to the directors and writers. But like this is where the stories start and end more or less. Um, But then like him having this experience of writing about his favorite character with his own son, I I almost feel like they like project that relationship into Star Wars, like especially with Han and then how that gets translated with Kylo too. I don't know. It's very complex in my head and I don't know if it makes sense when I'm saying it out loud, but. No, it does. I think it totally does. I think that I also just, I, I hope that they really acknowledge how lucky they are to write a Star Wars movie together. Right? I mean, it's it's insane. It's like such a gift. It's such a gift, too. (laughs) Now, let's talk about why I don't like the Kasdan on Kasdan (laughs) documentary. (laughs) Um, Number one, when they are all talking about Lawrence and how he, you know, there's a certain group of films that I don't know as much about. (sighs) Deep sigh. And then the, the real kicker of that whole thing was, oh, my father is a purist when it comes to Star Wars. And I think my notes actually say, kill me now. (laughs) I'm like, why are you putting this elitism on the original trilogy? That's not what it is. Um, Yeah, he says, I'm faithful to the originals. Yeah, which, like, fine. You you helped write them. Those can be your favorites. I'm cool with that. But to me, um, we were talking about this on text message the other day. It's like Lauren says that he's not as familiar with a, a certain group of films, which I think we can all pretty much infer is the prequels. And Given that he wrote the sequels. Yeah. Like it's fine. <laughs> and, and, and animation as well, I think it's a fair assessment too. Um, but then you have someone like Ryan Johnson who's like, yeah, I love the original trilogy and I just rewatched Revenge of the Sith on repeat for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I want my I want my writers and my directors to be really steeped in Star Wars. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> I, want- I just want them to take a, da- a Dave Filoni masterclass yes, with everything. Please, and I think that John took a Dave Filoni masterclass. I think, so I don't think he started out like this is this is my headcanon of John Kasdan is that he thought he knew a lot. I don't think he watched animation. I'm going to put that out there. I don't think he watched animation, Clone Wars, or Rebels. But I think once he started getting into the nitty-gritty of this, he was like, I need some help. And like probably reached out to Pablo or Kathy or someone else who was like, oh, you should talk to Dave. And then Dave was like, let me tell you the deal. And then I feel like then John like binge-watched the Clone Wars like right at the tail end of the solo <laughs> shooting. <laughs> During the hiatus is when John Kasdan binge-watched Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so funny that's my head cannon. um oh wait and the other thing that really bothered me too that Lawrence Kasdan said is when he says I met Han in A New Hope which is everybody's first experience of this world and I wanted to shake him and say no it's not <laughs> and that's okay <laughs> it's true anyway that's my it's weird because Lawrence says a lot of great things in Star Wars. It's funny because I think the documentary's point is to kind of show these two polar opposites. Yeah, you're and right. it's supposed to kind of get a rise out of you in that way, but it is frustrating that that kind of understanding. And I think Lawrence is a master, and I think that it's mm-hmm. – to for us to sit on a podcast and be like, oh, man, it's so annoying. Like, he's a wonderful writer and he has is. created some he, of the he, best he, movies of he, all time. He really has. Like <laughs> – Big fan but, of Lawrence Kasdan. I wish you liked the prequels or watched that's them. That's it. That's all it <laughs> that's is. It. Like, 
are okay with the fact that for me, purest Star Wars is loving all of Star Wars, not just the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, but really love what you did there. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I want to be in the room when they're like, listen, Lawrence, we're going to put Darth Maul in your movie. <laughs> and he's like, uh, who now? <laughs> like that spiky headed guy from film. I. <laughs> So one time. One time. And I, I envision that it's probably not Dave actually giving him the rundown of what happened. I feel like it's like some PA or something that's like, yeah, here's the timeline. <laughs> here's what happened. And Lawrence is like, spider legs. Okay. And then John comes in with like, yeah, the spider legs. They're great. But like now he's got robot legs. Fans are going to love this. They're going to love it. And look, I've already talked to Sam. And he's like, who's Sam? He's like, the guy who voiced him. And we got Ray Park. <laughs> Who's Ray? Who played him? Why do we have two? Like, <laughs> why do we have two? <laughs> it's so true, though. But like, I know that that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. You just like, and it's just John, just like kind of hopping around, like really excited, and Lawrence just sitting on his desk with his head in his hand, like. And it's it's okay for me to feel many feels about that entire exchange. It's okay for me to be like, that's mm-hmm. hilarious, but also hilarious be like, too. ugh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> the one thing, uh, kind of, this like other funny headcanon moment from the uh, actor's roundtable is when Donald Glover was talking about how when he found out he was Lando and he's like, I went to go get a pizza. Like everything was already crazy, like right after I found out. And it just makes me think of that gif of Donald from Community. Where he's got the pizza and he lit it and it's like, what's going on? <laughs> and it's like Donald it's came literally home. that That's exact what thing. That and it's like Donald came home with his pizza and like opened up the box and sat on Twitter and was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the fire bursting around. Yeah, him. yeah, exactly. It was like the internet explodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's funny. It's funny. Um, I side note, I think it's really funny that. Woody Harrelson name drops um, Matthew McConaughey. He's like, oh, I told my friend Matthew. And oh, then I, I just stayed in London. And I was like, wait, he's definitely talking about Matthew McConaughey, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was such a weird, like, drop in that conversation. I, oh, Beckett. <laughs> the thing is, okay, just si- side tangent. Mm-hmm. I think Beckett in the first act of the film isn't interesting to me by the third and second it's second and second episodes. and a half you don't even say act it's episodes <laughs> okay split it and make our own mini series basically from when they're on the falcon to the end of the movie i find beckett really interesting anything before that i am not invested in the character at all yeah i just i always want more from beckett i don't i think I don't he's know. really funny i love how i really hurt my thumbs i love that i hate that line <laughs> i think oh it's so God. funny <laughs> I also hate the line when when Val tells him he's like and this Nessa here is here and he's like, man, I'm never gonna hear the end of this. I hate that line. <laughs> yeah, that was so written by a guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, really? This is like a big deal, Beckett. <laughs> yeah, that's what. If I were Val, would have been like, really, really, really. <laughs> but Val can't respond again. Because the she's... writing could have been a little bit tighter there, and he could have been like, oh, but I checked everything. Like I thought I. God, how'd she get through? Yeah. It didn't have and to then, be about like some weird like couple dynamic. I know. And then again, if Han, like if they had all been a crew for a while, Han could have been like, wait, was that Val? Did you see that emphasis coming back? Like, what the heck? And Becca would be like, pipe down. Like, I know what I'm doing. And he's like, no, you don't. You could have had like that comedy there. I don't. 
why wasn't I hired? <laughs> Hire us. Of, of course, it's like I could do it so much better when no. But you can't because it's like you're under a time time restraint and like mm-hmm. things just happen. Yeah, and, and and watching these featurettes, it's just made me so much more impressed with the visuals of this film and that it really is the visuals for me that carry this film and the action sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and the com- and the comedy too of this film, I think, is hilarious. Um, the drama they- and emotion is what lacks for me. The drama is there. The, the drama wants to be there. The drama is trying really hard to get a foot in the door. When I say drama, I think the end with the switcheroo is perfect. I think that the timing yeah. is everything is totally right. And you understand that room and the characters' motivations and everything. It's great. Uh, yeah, I think and that, it that feels like an, an old movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but – uh, the, the the interesting thing it's just all it's the prequel problem right of mm-hmm. like suspense and drama can only be so much because you know you how know. the story is going mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're and it's right. just like it's just part of it you know and i think there's this annoying comment back to the kazdan on kazdan um it might have been i think it was in this one but john is like yeah we kill the two characters in the beginning so you kind of feel this like tension of like anyone can die and because you have that you're a prequel and you know these usual characters you have this understanding that like the stakes are really high or some he says something like that where it's like yeah okay like if they're not screenwriting 101 they they can die which then brings me back to dave who's like why do they have to die? Like everyone right? assumes that they have to die. They don't have to die. I think that is such a modern understanding of storytelling now. Like I think that three or four years ago we were like, oh my God, anyone can die. Like this is so interesting because of shows like Game of Thrones, which kind of flipped that whole thing on its head, right? Like Yeah. And I, I think everything from that point was kind of changed in terms of screenwriting. Everyone wanted to kind of – make people's jaws hit the floor in terms of character deaths and yeah it's like you be ballsy and kill off your main characters exactly this show show is legit yeah and i think that right now it's like why do we have to torture our characters why can't we just allow them to live Mm -hmm. well it's well again that's the what you said that's the paradox of solo is that you know solo can't be ballsy and kill off its main characters han and chewie because like, you know they live. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so then it's like, oh, well, let's just take care of everyone else. It's annoying. Yeah, it is. Which, I mean, is what Rogue One does too. But for me, Rogue One's deaths work so much better than Solo's because they had – like, they died for something. There's some kind of meaning to their deaths. Um, even if, even if like, you don't think that they were characterized well or – Well, they didn't happen in the first 15 minutes of the film. Or, the, or their first 15 minutes on screen. <laughs> Yes, you know, we're just we're just mincing words here, though. <laughs> yeah, um, I I just I I want to say that I recognize Solo's problems, but I also like it as in addition to Star Wars. It's and it's like this weird thing that I'm really wrestling with. It is, yeah, I think you're right. I I tweeted about this the other day too, where it was like Solo, like that was the culmination of like every Star Wars experience you and I have ever talked about having in the past 10 years was like, what if we went to a premiere? Like we talked about this all the time and the fact that it happened and we were in LA and like we had such a perfect trip there and like that whole experience of being there was amazing. And it's up there with seeing Force Awakens for me for the first time in theaters. Like nothing can ever tarnish that 
memory of being at that movie for the first time. Um, and, and even like the moments in the film that I thought were amazing. I love the opening of this film. Um, like with the, with the prologue and the lights and the music, I think that's really cool. And there was something, um, I think it was Ron Howard who actually said this in the film. He was like, you don't, yeah, we don't start this movie in the stars because that's not where Han Solo is. That's where he wants to be, but he's not there yet. He's on the ground now. And that's where we start the film. And I was like, oh, beautiful, poetic Ron Howard. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like chef kiss. (laughs) Um, I forgot what I was saying. Um, But yeah, like it does have these problems to it and you have to talk about them, but you can still like the movie and that doesn't make you a bad person. Um, Or to say that you don't recognize the problems that are in the film, you know? Totally. This movie, again, will never have the weight and it will never as like a saga film for me. And I I understand people don't really like how weighty those are. Um, And they they find it it to be a little bit more of a refreshing storytelling experience Mm -hmm. for them in the standalones. But I don't think that'll ever be me. I think that it's always going to be about the Skywalkers for me. Yeah. Well, that's that's just a preference <laughs> thing. Like, we've always been Skywalker girls. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's what we love about Star Wars is the drama of the Skywalker family. In the Force. Yeah, in the Force, but which is completely wrapped up in the Skywalkers. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for some people, they really like the battles. They really like Han, um, who is a Skywalker, but, you know. I don't think that's what they way. love about him. Um, yeah. Like big Han fans. I don't think that's what they love about Han. Um, whereas for me now, I'm like, oh, I like Han a lot more because now he's like very tied into our last remaining Skywalker heir. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let, me, let me take a step back and think about him a little bit more now. <laughs> oh, uh, we're fun. so predictable. Yeah. I think that's fine. You know, focus on what you like, not on what you hate. Talk about the exactly. problems. Acknowledge them. Okay, how could this have been better? Why is why are these things problematic? And then like allow yourself to still enjoy it, mm-hmm. and allow others. And to I'm still enjoy enjoying it. it. I yeah. I I know that I'm going to be putting on solo like casually in like a lot <laughs> because I I put on the last Jedi often when I'm just like cooking or something. But sometimes it's a little too much for me, even when there's like discourse raging about certain things. I like I have to turn it off. I have to not think about it because it does consume my thoughts. The sequel trilogy, I mean. Um, and I think with Solo, it is just like you can steep yourself in the world without getting too attached, you know? For, and- yeah, for me, I think I, I love the the world that Solo built. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really what I've taken away is loving most about it. I love looking at it. I love looking at the background of Solo. And I've liked that about other Star Wars films, but I don't think as much as Solo, honestly. For me, it really soars ahead. Yeah, totally. I think that in since – I think The Force Awakens was, in terms of like aesthetic and look, um, I think The Force Awakens was as traditional as it's, as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with Rogue One, I remember when they revealed the posters of Rogue One being like, I think this is going to look different than like what we're used to in yeah, terms of a Star Wars movie. because we had Scarif and the beach and we were yeah. like, oh, there are beaches in space. Yeah. Just also like in terms of like cinematography, I think that we were and, – and I guess in terms of this conversation about like is Star Wars a period movie that we were getting closer to the prequels, like it made sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, or it's like the in, that in between. And I – it was like – it was – brighter and lighter um 
And with The Last Jedi, don't you remember when we first saw that shot when we were at Celebration last year and the teaser played and it was that overhead like almost drone shot of um, Octo. No, Octo. (laughs) I was like, Kyle? (laughs) (laughs) Literally. No, but like when have we ever seen like an overhead shot like that? And it's stuff like that where I think that, that, you know, they're really challenging the way Star Wars can look. And then you see that come to full fruition with Solo here mm-hmm. um, with this ambient lighting technique that Bradford Young so expertly used. Yeah. Um, I love it. And and I'm so eager to see them branch out in terms of cinematographic, cinematographic styles. Cinematographic? Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> I I think that Ryan Johnson has a very specific look and I'm so eager for his trilogy for a lot of reasons, but so specifically excited. because he his look is so like kind of it's familiar tilted. to me. Yeah, point. but it's familiar, yeah. but it's tilted a little bit. It's a skew. Exactly. It's very breaking bad and I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I um I think that we're gonna see some experimentation with the Benioff and Wise series as well. Um, I have no idea what John Favreau's series is gonna look like, but if it's like anything like his CGI situation, that's gonna have a totally yeah, different spectacle. look. Yeah, and I, I think that there's room for Star Wars to grow. I don't think that we're going to get like a completely different look in episode nine, but I don't think we need to. But it's exciting to kind of imagine how the boundaries are going well, to be. I don't know. For. That's the thing. I'm I'm with nine how it's gonna look because like solo for me has the most texture. Of, yeah. of any Star Wars film, like the most layers, which I, I really appreciate about that film, which is totally a product of the set design and the props and the like the love and care they put into all of those details, as well as Bradford Young's work to like let us actually see it. Um mm-hmm. if you had a good viewing experience. Um but with like the sequel trilogy, it's so interesting because Last Jedi is so aesthetically different from Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And but now they've like built on each other, and now we're coming back to JJ. And so, is it going to be a blend of Last Jedi and Force Awakens? Is it is he gonna do something completely different? How many lens flares are there going to be? You know, what are we looking at here? I mean, only time will tell. Mm-hmm. It's exciting, it is exciting. You know what we say here on Sky Talkers? It's a great time to be a Star Wars fan, and it, it really is, is. It re- and it really is. For as much as like there are things that you don't enjoy, and, and you're not required to like every piece of Star Wars. That's not a requirement to be a Star Wars fan. Um, and we're so lucky that there is so much coming out as like diehard Star Wars fans that, you know, we can focus on what we love, not on what we hate. Mm-hmm. Totally. So let's talk about the deleted scenes. Okay. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right, welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about some of the deleted scenes. Now, it's funny because for as much as I love bonus features, I don't love deleted scenes, but Charlotte loves deleted scenes. So I'll start with you. What is your favorite one that we got? Um, so yeah, I do love deleted scenes. I think they're always fun bonus material for the character. <laughs> I It's funny because I think that it – I'll answer a question and then I'll go into why. Um, I – like the TIE fighter crash scene the best and like the Imperial trial mm-hmm. that Han is under. Um, I think that all of these different scenes in deleted scenes, no matter how small, they're just like more bits to a movie that you love and you just want more of it. And I think that for you, you and I'm like totally like putting words in your mouth, but I think for you, you want to know the technical aspects behind everything and like the behind the scenes nature. But like for me, I'm like, 
I want more of the character. I want to see more. Honestly, I wonder if you would love deleted scenes as much as you do if it weren't for all of the Padme deleted scenes. I know. See, that's the thing. That's like like that's the holy grail of family, you know, and then Seeds of the Rebellion. Like those, you wrote whole fanfics like solely off of like the foundation of those deleted scenes. They're really like my gold standard. And when anyone says deleted scenes, like, my brain, no matter what, we're not even talking about Star Wars, I will probably bring up the deleted scenes in the prequels. You know, so mine do too, but just because I know your love of that. Like, I always <laughs> think of the Padme deleted scenes um, and how it's a shame that they were deleted. Uh, but for Such me, I'm like – It's not necessarily – for me, the deleted scenes, I understand why they're cut. I wouldn't have added any of these ones from Solo back into the movie. And I honestly don't think I would have added, and I've said this before, the deleted scenes in Revenge of the Sith, I love them. I love Padme starting basically the rebellion herself. Um, I love those scenes, but I think that they would have slowed down the pace of the movie. Um, I was going to say with Star Wars in particular with deleted scenes, it's interesting because I think my opinion in general of deleted scenes has always been like, well, they're not in the film. Like, I don't need to see them. And usually I understand why things are cut, but also – there aren't a lot of deleted scenes of my favorite characters. Like there's not – there aren't any Kylo deleted scenes in Last yeah. Jedi, which I think I would obsess over. You know, I mean there's like there, – there's a, that, like, that like one clip of him, but it's just, it's just a very short clip. Whereas, like, you, but you know which one is really great that I always think about in The, the Force Awakens? Oh. No, the one where Kylo goes on the Falcon. Oh, yeah. It's the best deleted scene ever that definitely should have been re- left in the movie. I think it's okay that it's out, honestly, because it's like out of sight, out of mind, those scenes for me. It's not a part of the final story. They took it out for a reason. That's how I see it. But then again, it's like – but that again, even if I was really invested in that scene, that's not even a verbal scene. Like nothing happens. Whereas for you, like Padme is your favorite character and like you've got 10% of her dialogue is in deleted scenes. So of course that's going to be really important to you. Right, right. Um, I think it's more than 10%. I was especially I was in being, Revenge of the Sith. I was being generous, but you're right. Um, my favorite scene is the same as yours, the deleted scene. I really, again, I loved the scene, hated one piece of that scene um, from the TIE fighter and the Imperial Tribunal. I loved the set. I thought the set was amazing. I thought it was really cool. It definitely gave me Ahsoka Leaves vibes when she's on trial as well. Yes. I and I loved I loved Han's like quip back to the com- Commodore where he was like Moff, Sir Moff. And he was like, It's Commodore and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and how they've got the- <laughs> that was that was a subtext of what he was saying. I loved the screen where Han was like, clearly in if we <laughs> press replay, you can see that if such and such had happened. I thought that was so funny. I really liked that scene. And I liked too that we saw him get kicked out because I don't like the transition to Min Man. What I don't like about that scene and kind of makes me glad that they cut it out is at the end where Han's like, listen, Commodore, I'm no hero. I don't want to be a hero. And I was like, that's too on, on the, the nose. nose. Too yeah. on the nose for me. I don't like it. I get what you're saying. I You're holding my hand with that. Like, we all know who Han becomes. Thank you. <laughs> I do really like the scene of Kira and Han in the alley on Corellia and them hiding in that bucket of eels. Yeah, it was cute. It was cute. It was cute. And I think that – I mean, I do think that it, it slowed down the whole edit. Mm-hmm. That's um, the thing, but, yeah. but I think it's cute. I also think it's, like, kind of a nod to Indiana Jones. 
um, mm-hmm. of them in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Marion gets in the vase container and they have to hide there. She has yeah. to hide there. Um, I think it's really cute. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> I, I like any scene, honestly, where Han's being like overly affectionate. I love it. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it kind of goes back to that, that moment that George directed when they're in the closet scene where he's like, yeah, Han wouldn't hang up the clothes. He'd just throw it to the side. And of course, yes. like Han's going to take this moment where even though they're being manhunted by Moloch and the Karelian hounds, he's like, this seems as good as any for a kiss. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could use a good kiss. And she's like, we're in a bucket of eels. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, not the time. That's okay. And then like one stings him. He's like, all right, we should go. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It is, that, one, um, that one is really cute. That one's a really cute scene. Yeah. There's um, there's like more to the Lady Proxima era that I really just – the dialogue is just not good. Did you watch that one? The the first one where they're – Yeah. Where like they're in – era at her like bed. Yes. Yeah, I didn't like that one. I did like that one because we got to see the puppeteers <laughs> doing Proxima. That's what I liked about <laughs> that deleted scene. Yeah, but it was like it was it's clunky. It was just weird. I got clunky. yeah, it was very clunky and that if that was supposed to be our intro to Han and Kira, it was not good. Yeah, no. The one they picked was much better. Yeah. The question that I have about these is are these all Ron Howard deleted scenes or what? Yeah, what am I watching? Is Ron Howard. I was so curious because remember how we kind of speculated that the beginning scene on Corellia was more Lorna Miller? Yeah. But we see so much – we see a lot of behind the scenes from that particular sequence, that episode of Solo, and Ron Howard is there for a lot of those So we're shoots. super wrong. Either that or they literally reshot everything. That's kind well, of what I'm thinking. The, the train thing is the example that I don't understand. I can't wrap my mind around it because oh, yeah. I know that they shot that originally, maybe like just them on the mountain or something with um, Lord and Miller. And then that was caught up in, in the hiatus and that <laughs> was extended for so long. Hiatus. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> me, me neither. And it's, it's funny because I feel like if anything is pieced together, it's probably the train. And I think it's just the beginning of them like looking over um, from the mountain down um, mm-hmm. and like pieces of how that train heist went down, which I know probably took, you know, months to understand and practically do. Yeah. Yeah. I bet they didn't go back to the Dolomites. No, I don't so, think so. I think you're right. The thing that the scene that I am so glad they got rid of. Oh my god, I know what you're gonna say. The snowball, the snowball fight. So, oh god, it was the worst. It's, it, it's I, such a cute scene as like a clip in between the Star Wars show, but I'm like, Val just died, and you're having. Can a you imagine? Fight. I was can like, you imagine if that was in the movie yeah, after no, no. Like, experiencing that. Nope. Nope. Think whoever it was probably a, a I mean, woman who was like, we should probably get that. And they like, were like, oh yeah, good. I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, like, John's oh, like, they're walking through graves? And, but, but John's there in the background like, but they're having a snowball fight. It's so cute. Because <laughs> they're Han and Chewie and it's a rom-com. And the woman in the room is like, mm, uh, I don't know. Actually, no. The, just, the emotional beats just don't work. And she like backspaces <laughs> that scene out. <laughs> I I love that scene and I'm so glad that we have it because I love – it is Han and really Chewie is – really one of the best things about Mm -hmm. solo love and the scene is great it just didn't need to be in the movie yeah the its place in the sequence is atrocious 
Um, but it, it's life now outside of the movie is amazing. Like chef kiss, yeah. amazing. Chef kiss. Chef kiss. That's my second chef kiss drop, so I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not sorry. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I think it's um, – when they had the Mimban extended cut, I was like, no. <laughs> there was more of this scene <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> Not invested at all um, in any of this. I am not there in the novelization, but <clears throat> I wonder, did they ever discuss what they, the Empire was mining on Mimban? With the mud? Like, what are they using the mud for? No, I don't think they're using the mud. I think it's just a muddy planet. Oh, okay. <laughs> no one, no one's using mud. I thought that they were, like, they were there for a reason. I mean, they are there for a reason. The reason is not mud. <laughs> I wish it was mud. <laughs> it's not mud. <laughs> what are you going to do for mud? It's not like, it's not like a fuel. I don't know. Okay. Like, just to get serious here, I find it really cool that the Empire – like, cool in, like, the worst way. I think it's a really interesting exploration of this time period, if we're going to do that, about all the different things that the Empire is using these planets for and yeah, why I they're agree, occupying but them. no one uses mud as, like, a viable resource. I, I know, but, okay, I'm just making a comment here about how I think it's really fascinating and awesome about how Solo expanded that to mm-hmm. include hyperfuel and coaxium, and it just, like, adds to our – understanding of even how rebels worked mm-hmm. where at the very end of rebels we see them mining for these temples it's like yeah. what are they doing on mimban maybe they're trying to find a temple like a you never really know special kind of mud <laughs> in this like underneath all the mud is a temple <laughs> I thought it's the mud under- temple underneath all the mud <laughs> is better mud so underneath the mud is more mud, and then underneath that mud is also mud, but underneath that is the mud temple. It's the mud temple, which you guess it is made out of mud. Mud. What I think is so funny anyway. is, so what anyway. are they doing, Charlotte, what are they doing on Mimban? Mining for mud? No. It's, it's sci-fi. You never know. Soylent Green is people. Mud could be something else. I love how, like, this – you could kind of um, – expand this to say that like the empire is going green and like using natural resources like mud <laughs> maybe they are like literally they maybe they are mud. you the can just whole... create mud wherever you are <laughs> just pour some water on dirt and there you go <laughs> okay <laughs> wow all right this was good um i think it's so funny that we talked about this earlier but the falcon and like destroying the falcon um for the castle run and then how they had to destroy the chewy outfit the chewy suit and everyone was like that was really hard. <laughs> and they have the Wookiee wash, which I think is amazing. Yeah. It's so good. It was really good. It was really good. But I, I felt so bad for the – the uh, what is it? The Chewy – the Chewy Care Team. I forget what they called it. Yeah. Because they hand-sewed all of these suits and then had to get it dirty like that. Like really <laughs> dirty. They had to give yeah. him dreadlocks, and they spend so much time fluffing Chewie's hair, and then they had to give him, like, mud dreadlocks. <laughs> Talk about killing your darlings. I know, for real. I think I think that kind of stuff must be kind of fun for costumers, though. Um, uh, I beg to differ. Not with not with a costume like a Wookiee suit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. 
I think you're right, though, that for, like, I, I bet it was kind of fun to, like, rip apart the Falcon, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, that kind of stuff is really fun to, like, scuff things up. Yeah. And when you have, like, 70 Falcons that are made out of plastic and easy to wipe and reassemble. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do it digitally if you need to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a mistake. I guess we can do that in post. We'll just backspace that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so – what did we think about this bonus feature set? Like, if we could sum it up in a sentence, what did you think of it? I thought it was really robust. What I think is funny is how, just like we think Solo would be better as a miniseries, is that they, like, basically did a tiny feature ad on the different episodes of Solo. <laughs> you know, you've got the earlier chase, we've got the train heist, and we've got, like, L3 and, like, kind of, like, the Kessel Run Um <laughs> I just think it's funny how they organized it. So I liked it. I thought it was really robust. I agree. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I was really happy with the content that we got. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting much, and here it is. It's good. Yeah, same. Same, 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 same. I don't think I'm going to be revisiting it in the same way that I revisit The Last Jedi content a lot. I but... won't revisit all of it. I'll definitely revisit like the Corellia Chase one. I like that yeah. one a lot. And the Chewy one because Jonas is just so adorable. Lovable. Yeah, yeah he really is. Yeah, So I think that's it, right? That's going to wrap up our episode? I think so. So it's been really fun talking about Solo again. Um, It's a complex – like our emotions about Solo are very complex. So I hope that if you loved Solo, you weren't – like you enjoyed our discussion. And if you didn't love Solo, you also enjoyed our discussion Um, because I think you and I are both kind of somewhere in the middle. We're we're on the the spectrum of Solo love. So thank you guys for listening and bearing with us as we worked through our emotions regarding Solo. This was a really fun – I really did enjoy the bonus features on this. And I'm really glad that we now have Solo back in our lives and at home. I think that – I think I'll only grow to love Solo more, honestly. But uh, if you like what you heard and you want to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, it really does help our show out. Skytalkers is the name. Just search for that and subscribe if you're not already. You can also find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or on our personal Twitter accounts. Mine is Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. Or you can head on over to our website, skytalkers.com, if you want some more information there. Yes. And I just want to thank our awesome patrons, Amy, Joanna, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Rachel, Courtney, Brian, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, Anthony, Danny, Lumpa, Raru, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stuart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Elias, Sarah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Matt, Jordan, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Rebecca, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Thank you guys so much, and we look forward to talking to you next time. But until then, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.
Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.